Welcome to another exciting episode of What's New in Adaptive Physical Education. I am here with four great scholars in the field of adapted physical education, maybe maybe more broadly adapted physical activity for some of them. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's just, I'm, I'm really, really uh, honored to be with them right now. And we're here and we're going to talk about their recent uh, adaptive physical activity leadership preparation grant that they're a part of. Uh, where we recently had some of the PhD scholars on there and talking about it. We're going to talk about some of their specific programs, um, how they got involved with the grant, a little bit about them, and a little bit, which I'm always really interested in, in is the mentoring uh, aspect of it too. Like, how, what does a good PhD mentor look like? So we're going to kind of tackle these broad questions and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, at the very beginning, though, I just want to know a little bit about you all, uh, and some of you are past Dr. Healy and Dr. Block, and Dr. Shapiro and Dr. Ross, this is their first time, but we're very, very excited to have them. So um, I, I'll just start and, and with, well, let's start with, uh, in my order, I'll take Dr. Deb Shapiro is from Georgia, Georgia State University. If you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in adaptive physical education, um, I, I would love to hear it. Sure, um, I'm thrilled to be here. So I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. And I uh, grew up in Toronto and did my undergraduate degree in Toronto in um, psychology and physical education. And my parents were um, Big Ten graduates from the United States and said, you, you need to go to the United States for school because there are very few opportunities in adapted physical education um, in Toronto at that time. Uh, I think one of the few were in, in uh, University of Alberta. So I moved myself to uh, Michigan State University where I did adaptive PE and motor development and uh, then progressively moved south to Indiana University where I continued to do adaptive E, motor development and educational psychology. And then finally ended up in this, about as far south as I can go and still take it seriously without sitting on the beach um, at Georgia State University in downtown Atlanta. Uh, I started in adaptive PE as a camp counselor and working in summer camps and then working with kids with disabilities as an inclusion facilitator through parks and recreation and then working with a so high school student with students who are blind who are coming to our high school to learn how to swim. And I just gravitated to it. And that's where my parents said, go to the state. They got lots of big sports programs there. And um, so that's where I've done. And that, that's what I did. And that's where I've stayed all these years. Later. Very cool. We just had uh, Dr. Uh, Nancy Spencer talking about disability models, and she's at the University of Alberta, too. So lots of Canadian uh, connections lately. Real quick, um, Dr. Shapiro, I didn't mention this, but can you broadly just state what your research kind of area is? Yeah, I, so my research at uh, Georgia State University is really focusing on physical activity and sport for people with disabilities, particularly children. Uh, I started off looking with, at the impact of sport participation and motivation on Special Olympics athletes uh, and did that for many years and then have moved into uh, through service working with the American Association of Adapted Sports Programs um, where they run sports uh, academic programs through the schools for kids with physical disabilities and so I started to do a lot of research with them with their athletes and participants looking at the impact of adapted sport on um, coaching on motivation, participation, now physical activity using heart rate monitors to really gauge the impact that these programs are having for 
promotion and advocacy and continued funding to really look at the health and academic uh, impacts that these programs can have on their lives. That's awesome. Yeah, we know that there, there's quality programs out there, but we don't always know exactly how much we're impacting those. Uh, Dr. Healy uh, from the University of Delaware, do you want to talk briefly about how you got into the field of APE and a little bit briefly about your research? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Scott, for having us on, on the podcast. Um, so like Deb, I'm also an international uh, uh, scholar here. So originally I'm from Ireland, where I studied physical education. I, my background in APE slash APA is working mainly with children with autism in a school setting as a physical education teacher. And I worked in a lot of community programs. Um, most, the, the one I worked most in was teaching surfing to children with autism. But I also recognized that to have a career in APE or APA at least eight years ago in Ireland was very difficult. So I went to Europe and did the European Masters of Adapted Physical Activity. And it was there that I was lucky enough to meet Dr. Block, actually, one of, one of the guests here on the podcast. And I took up his offer of moving to the States to study with him at UVA, um, where I completed my PhD under his supervision from 2015, sorry, 2012 to 2015. From there, I moved to Humboldt State University in North California, where I worked just for one year before moving to University of Delaware in 2007. So... In Humboldt, I was working in an AP program, um, uh, undergrad physical education program and a master's of adopted physical education. Here at University of Delaware, it's a bit different. We have a major, a health behavior science major within the Department of Behavioral Health and Nutrition. And within this department, I'm the director of our minor in health, um, physical activity and disability. Um, my research interests would be largely around two avenues. One, I look at determinants of health amongst individuals with autism, that's children and adults with autism, mainly focusing on behavioral determinants of health, like physical activity, sensory behavior, etc. Um, and then I've done some research in the last couple of years looking at web-based and parent-mediated interventions. So I've done uh, interventions to increase physical activity of kids with autism using parents and um, web-based platforms, and most recently focused on kids with um, Down syndrome and motor skills using a similar um, type, of, type of intervention uh, modality. Um, I think that answers the question. Absolutely, and Sean and I, Sean was on my dissertation committee and we've done a little oh, yes. bit of work using online tools too, which he's been a great help to me as well. So uh, moving on though to Dr. Samantha Ross from the University of West Virginia. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and your field and how you got in the field and, uh, and a little bit about your research. Yeah, uh, quick correction, uh, West Virginia University. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yes, hi, thank you for having me. I am excited to be part of this consortium. I'm new in my faculty position. I'm starting my second year as an assistant professor at West Virginia University. So a real privilege to be part of this consortium um, and learning from all the great people out in the field of APE and APA. I would describe myself as a scholar in adapted physical activity. I do not have a teaching credential or experience in the physical education, teacher education world. Um, my undergraduate degree was from University of Oregon in exercise science and psychology. 
And from there, I went and worked in a adapted horseback riding center where I was really excited and intrigued by how this facilitated movement opportunity to explore and, you know, control that thousand pound animal and, and navigate and have agency in where, where and when you move, um, facilitate social interactions and growth and greater participation in the lives of individuals with disabilities. So kind of following that string of thought, I reached out to graduate mentors at Oregon State University where they have a kinesiology program focused in adapted physical activity and jumped in there and did both my master's and PhD at Oregon State University, really focusing in on how does movement facilitate social experiences and development and how can we provide inclusive opportunities in which children and adults can engage in that experience, even in, in the presence of a disability or impairment. Um, from this lens, Oregon State is a public health, they're in a public health school. Um, so really had the opportunity to apply, I would call it a critical studies and disabilities lens in saying how are health promotion programming and community-based physical activities being inclusive of individuals with disabilities. Um, so I was able to, to pair my graduate studies with a master's in public health at Oregon State to take on a public health and population lens along with my kinesiology movement studies um, type lens. Uh, now that I'm at West Virginia University, I'm in a physical education teacher education program, which gives me an exciting opportunity to take this critical disability lens and take a look at how that might apply within a teacher education program. So how are we teaching about disability and framing it for future professionals within the classroom? And how does that impact their perspective and their capacity to deliver inclusive programming um, in both school and community fitness settings? That is very, very interesting. Um, the, the last episode, I think that came out was the disability models one. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Dr. Spencer was, was really like opened my eyes to, to how we use them. And she was talking about using these models as tools, depending on the context versus that I ascribe to this model. I just ascribe. And I thought that was a really interesting way that she kind of said that is using them more as tools depending on the context, which I, I found yeah. to be really enlightening. Um, so do, Dr. Block, uh, last but not least, uh, University of Virginia. Uh, it, briefly, if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and, uh, and your research. Sure. So uh, I, um, well, I studied physical education as an undergraduate student. And back in the late 70s, there were still many special schools. And I volunteered at a school for the deaf, a school for children with intellectual disabilities, and a school for children with cerebral palsy, and decided I loved, loved working with children with disabilities. And so I went to the Ohio State University to get my master's, taught for five years in a school for children with disabilities up in Northern Virginia outside of Washington, DC. And at the time, uh, I met some of the people who worked at the International Special Olympics office. 
and they invited me to come and help them create a program for children with severe disabilities. I've been working with children with severe multiple disabilities at my school. And I, I did this the wrong way. For those of you who know about getting a PhD, you're supposed to kind of identify a mentor and say, hey, can I work with you? So they said, hey, you're going to be up here at Special Olympics. Anyway, why don't you go get your PhD, go to the University of Maryland? And I said, well, who do I study with? And they said, you'll find somebody. Don't worry about it. Well, I just really lucked into finding Jane Clark, who was uh, really well-known in motor development. And so I got my PhD in motor development with a minor in special ed. Uh, taught for two years in, uh, at Northern Illinois University, then have been at UVA since 1992, uh, where right now I direct the master's and the doctoral program in adapted physical activity. Um, my research, research interest has been around inclusion, a variety of aspects of inclusion, attitudes of parents, attitudes of the children, attitudes of peers, attitudes of teachers. I kind of shifted into self-efficacy and how can we better prepare future PE teachers. And so that's still an area of my interest. Uh, and then I'm also shifted a little bit more into the autism area as well, physical activity in children with autism. So to, that's a quick background on me. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, uh, and this is also something uh, for you all is that I will jump off the uh, guiding questions if you're following those too closely, because my next question is, you know, you, you brought up like this, like we we're all five of us have gotten our PhD, right? Which is this weird experience. Uh, it's a great experience, but also like this strange, unique one. Um, and, and I guess, you know, before we start talking about your PhD programs, uh, in, in your eyes, what, you know, or, or your own experiences, why would someone go and get a PhD? I'll, I'll jump in. I, when, yeah. when people approach me about this, I say it, it is your union card that you need to teach at a university. And if that's your ultimate goal, then you should get your PhD. If your ultimate goal is to do anything else, uh, I don't think I would put myself through going to get a PhD. But if you really want to be a university professor, you, you need that PhD. And so that, to me, is uh, the, the main reason. I think some people also do it because they're interested in the intellectual part of, of the profession. So they might be interested in shifting from the direct teaching to looking at preparing like Dr. Box said, the next generation of teachers. But aside from that, I think it's also the connection to understanding research, conducting research, looking at research questions, just having a curiosity for something out there that's more than just the, the hands-on teaching. So I think there's some people that sort of gravitate to, to that element of the, a PhD program. I've had several discussions with potential graduate students too who are coming from a program where they've they work with individuals with disabilities and they love that experience and sometimes in those nonprofit settings or programming settings you come up with a lot of headaches with with how those operate and just the limited resources and time and, and funding and we talk about how you know, your ticket into a university and a faculty position can be a great platform and a great anchor for some of those programs. So you can come in and, and use the university as a resource base. I think we all have service programs that then benefit our community and benefit individuals with disabilities. Um, but we've got the resources maybe to facilitate that and give opportunity to expose more students and more of our communities to that that population. 
Yeah, and just briefly to go off um, what the other said, yeah, I, um, I would say my original motivation was that it was a stepping stone. I knew to have a career in APA, AP, coming from Ireland, I had to be in an institute of higher education. So initially, I think I entered thinking this is a stepping stone, but I think I quickly realized what really, why I really enjoyed my PhD process. And that was like Deborah talked about, you're getting these skills to become an independent researcher and actually being there at the forefront, um, creating knowledge and advancing our understanding of these topics that we're, we're very passionate and interested about, ultimately to improve the quality of life of people, including people who have disabilities. And aside from that, I thought I also, an aspect of my PhD program that I really enjoyed was also being a better, you know, I, I felt I entered my PhD program as a good teacher of children, of kids, because that's where my experience was. But having the opportunity to become a better teacher of young adults, I think was a great benefit as well that I don't think I had got from my undergraduate or from my master's degree. Yeah, I, you know, there, I think it's obviously it's, so I, I just think about it a lot because what I think about is that I think the reasons, although I'm not even 100% sure why I went into it sometimes, like it's this jumbled thing of, you know, it, it happened. And, um, I, you know, I think sometimes I wanted to challenge myself. Uh, but I think then I don't think I understood what a PhD really was until you're halfway or almost through the process. Uh, and so sometimes I just think about those, you know, the beginning. And I have, we don't have a PhD program at my uh, university, but I do have conversations with our master students sometimes about it and it's always a big conversation uh that kind of occurs so so with that uh and dr block mentioned this too about how he didn't go through the process like many other people do of uh, finding a mentor first so you know that's obviously a big part of going to a phd program is that mentor and all those and, and i'm sure each one of you have a very unique program uh, and that's usually, you know, a big part of how do you select, right? Is what program are you going to? So can you talk briefly about, about your PhD programs and uh, how they might be unique in, 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 in preparing future scholars? I think, yeah, I think our program at University of Delaware is maybe a little unique from the, um, the, the other programs in the consortium because we are a department of behavioral health and nutrition. So we take a very kind of holistic, broad or comprehensive uh, perspective of health. Um, we have a very strong focus on research, as many of the other universities do. You know, the, the aim is always to develop your the PhD student into eventually becoming an independent researcher. We have a pretty small PhD program. We try to take in about four or five PhD students a year, but it is relatively new. Um, and another, I think, interesting aspect of, of my program and a reason I like the department and I think it's why our PhD students enjoy it also, is we have a very diverse um, faculty within our department, ranging from public health to health communication, from physical activity to nutrition. So a very broad um, expertise within the department, which I think is, is of great benefit to, to, you know, to, to the students I work with, that they're not limited to just my knowledge or the knowledge that I can guide them towards. They have access to other experts. Of course, the beauty of this consortium is now they also have access to, you know, to Deborah, to Sam, to um, Dr. Block, etc. as well. So it just has opened up that um, circle of experts even more, which is wonderful. But, uh, but uh, anyway, that would be the maybe uniqueness that is at University of Delaware. 
I would hope that my dream student, and I've had you know about a half a dozen who've, who've done this, would say, I've read your work, I've read your research, and I would like to study with you and work on similar research. And so I've had a fair number of students who've done work on inclusion and when, when Sean was there and, and then last three, I think doctoral students did work on um, using podcasts and, and online modules uh, to, to prepare um, current and future PE teachers. So that'd be my dream student. Um, so I think, you know, not to beat my own drum, but I think one thing that would be attractive to the University of Virginia would having me as a mentor who does this type of research and has, has been immersed in this for, you know, for several years. Um, we are a smaller program than, than, than Sean's. We have uh, uh, exercise physiology, sports medicine, and, and the kinesiology for disability. So we don't have that, that, that breadth that they have, but we do have a really strong autism program in the School of Education. And uh, many of our students, I think uh, when Sean was there, perhaps, I don't think it was there actually when you were there, Sean, but it, that, that's a nice place to do some collaborative research. They do some really good stuff. They have some really good researchers there. Um, uh, and then I, I think uh, the other thing would be just the community connections that I have since I've been at the university for so long is probably true for Deb in, in Georgia. But when it comes time to doing research and doing your dissertation, other studies, I have access to to community uh, schools for kids with autism and things like that, where I could you know pretty much ensure that you're going to get a good population for your study. So. Real quick, Dr. Block, on, on one of your points, you know, you said that, and we're going to talk about, you know, the, the art of being a mentor, maybe. Um, but, you know, do you think, and this is to everyone, and we'll go back to that question I asked, do you think that it's more important for PhD scholars to pick a program or to pick a mentor? Like if they're selecting, is that is the mentor the most important aspect for them to, to choose when they're choosing these? Or is it the program as a whole? I, I think all the programs are going to be strong. I think having that that bond with your mentor, I think, is pretty important. And again, ideally, you know, like if and I do this, if someone said I'm really interested in sports for people with disabilities, I'd say you probably want to go down to Deb Shapiro and study down there, you know. And if someone is interested in autism, while I feel I have a strong background, I would recommend perhaps Sean or maybe Megan McDonald at Oregon State. So there are people who who are strong in areas. I, I recommend those types of things the mentor. I'll go back to your first question for a minute and talk about what makes it unique because I think that connects to the mentorship. So at Georgia State, we're um, health and physical education, teacher education programs were a peak program or a peak concentration within the Department of Kinesiology. So we are very heavy physical education, teacher education. Um, so from that perspective, our core courses that you would take as a PhD student, really look at advanced thinking of teaching and research in general PE. And then this connects to the mentorship because if you're coming to um, Georgia State, you have to have an interest in teacher education, but then you get to do the minor or the concentration in adaptive PE with me. So that's where that mentorship comes is you part of a bigger program of uh, two or three other faculty who are teaching in peak, but you also get the focus and adapted. What also makes it unique for us, I think, is that because we're part of a college of education, um, we're very focused on teaching. And so our doctoral students get a lot of teaching experience, which I never had as a doctoral student. Um, so that's a second element, I think, that makes it very unique because we're teaching in a college of education that values 
uh, quality teaching. And the third part that again connects to that mentorship is that my research is not in PEAT. So while you're studying in PEAT, my research is not in PEAT. It's in physical activity, um, in promotion, and social psychological factors that influence sport participation. So uh, I have the connections and contacts within the community to work with disability sport groups, whether it's children or adults, um, you know, congenital acquired disabilities, whatever disability you want. We're in the city of Atlanta, so you have literally your hand at every fingertip that you can uh, reach out and touch. So those are some of the elements that make us unique is that we're, that I have the research and the focus in sport while I'm still teaching in a teacher education program, focusing on physical education in the schools. So I can combine a variety of different areas. So when you're thinking about mentoring, that again is that sort of other connection is that you're looking at the mentor um, in case, in this case, someone like myself who has the combination of both sport and teacher education to, to build some bridges that way. This is Dr. Ross from West Virginia University. I, I have to agree with what everyone said. And one thing that I think is really standing out is how we're all mentioning the type of culture that's within our programs and where our programs are situated within the university. So Dr. Shapiro just shared that she's in a program of education. So that, that value on teaching and, and educational design here at West Virginia University, our program, our doctoral program, is within the College of Physical Activity and Sports Sciences, um, within the actual School of Coaching and Teaching Studies. So alongside our PEAT program, we have coaching education, sports psychology, sport management, um, and have a very heavy focus within our doctoral work on curriculum development, teaching in higher education, the theories and models that go beyond that, and opportunity as a doctoral student to then apply that as the instructor of record for some of our undergraduate courses. Um, and we've really all spoken as mentors to this idea that you are, as an incoming PhD student, you're coming into a program and culture. So what skills are you going to gain from that program and what's emphasized within that program? So is teaching highly valued? Will you have mentorship and guidance and opportunity for teaching within that doctoral program? Or is it really heavily emphasized in research and research experiences on big grants? And then your mentor helps you hone in on that in one specific area and topic and really aligning with your mentor is so important because it helps you get engaged with the research, find interest, and then stay engaged as you kind of build your own skills and your own line of thought. Um, and I think that relationship is invaluable and can really make or break the program that you're in and, and the success you're feeling as a PhD student. Yeah, and you know, we keep kind of knocking on this PhD mentor thing and, and such. So let's kind of dive into that. And, and first, like, like, what does it mean to be a PhD mentor? You know, I, I found, you know, what, what is their role exactly? And, and Samantha's kind of talked a little bit about that. Um, but, but what is your role as a PhD mentor? 
Well, it goes beyond academics, certainly, I think. Um, first and foremost, it's it's academic, I guess, because that's why somebody is is there is to to learn the get the content knowledge through courses. Uh, the second role, I would say, academically related is certainly the research. I think all of our schools are pretty um, heavily emphasizing research, uh, at the, both for faculty for tenure track positions and tenure. So that triple, trickles down to the doctoral students who are doing research. So certainly to help guide them in how to think through research and become independent scholars. So that's the that's sort of the academic side of it, but I think there's a personal side to it also. Um, you get to know you know each other for four or five years, so you see them grow as 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 professionals and scholars, but also you know personally in their own lives as they make their way usually in a new city. Um, you know, some get married, some have children as they're going through the program. Um, some get divorces or going through a program. So, you know, there's all sorts of personal life experiences that people have that you're, that you're supporting and encouraging uh, to get to know each other. And I think they do the same with my family. So, when, you know, when I take on a, a doctoral student, they get to watch my kids grow up just as much as I get to watch them and get be involved with their lives. So I think it's that personal relationship side that um, means a lot and then the professional side. And I like to think or like to hope that the personal side helps to strengthen the research and the research side helps to strengthen the, the personal. So by the time they've graduated, um, they're feeling confident as you know scholars to be able to go out and start a new life someplace else, but know that they can always come back for support or questions or guidance as they go through their careers. I, I want to jump off that because in recent discussions with potential students, the, the, even the word research is scary. Um, and really kind of off-putting for a PhD program, especially when we're, we're drawing in experienced teachers in APE, where they love the teaching, they love the service, they've got that rich experience, but the idea of like what is research and what are we doing um, can be a little bit off-putting. And part of our role as mentors is to, I think, unveil a little bit of what research is and really highlight that it can happen in so many different settings and so many different ways where you ask questions about what you're doing or how you're teaching or how someone's learning, how the program is going or changing or responding to different opportunities. And it's not the bench science that everyone thinks about. Um, so trying to really shape and, and expose our, our mentees and our scholars to different types of research and how you can engage in it and then apply it. I would also share that I think our role is kind of uncovering the hidden curriculum of higher education. There, it's not a clear path as to how you succeed in higher education. And if you're not familiar with the structure, the organization, the expectations, um, it can be difficult uh, and can be barriers for, for students trying to navigate that system. So what can we do to help facilitate, you know, how do you go to a conference and get the most out of it? How do you network and build your connections for research and future careers? How do you make sense of all the pieces of your PhD between coursework, research, service, to actually build your holistic plan 
and your identity as a scholar. So I agree, it's not just the coursework and the research outcome, it's, it's how do we synthesize that all together and package, you know, get yourself packaged up to, to reach your, your own end goal, even if it's not that research intensive school. Yeah, I think um, Dr. Shapiro and Dr. Ross um, summed up like the formal and informal roles um, brilliantly. Um, the one thing that I was going to add um, that I think weaves through both um, or everything that they have said is the importance of having this open communication with your, with your mentee, I think is very important, both for their professional development and for their personal development as well, just ensuring that you are fostering that culture that they feel safe enough to have conversations with you about um, struggles, successes, etc. Um, and the final thing I would add to what has been said already is I also think it's important for us as their primary mentor to make them aware that there are other advisees around them as well that they should take advantage of. You know, in my own PhD program, I was very fortunate to have Dr. Block as my supervisor, but I was also surrounded by other very valuable faculty members as well. Um, and I try to do that for my current um, mentees as well, that I try to, you know, um, I try to, to um, encourage them to interact with other faculty members who have expertise that I certainly don't have. Um, so that, there are just two points I wanted to make. Absolutely. I think that that piece about, you know, them learning from their peers is really valuable too, because, and especially, you know, if, if you're in the same area, you're, I mean, probably going to know them for 30 years, you know, and uh, you want to, to develop those relationships and continue learning. Uh, Dr. Block, you know, I, I think you have the most experience as a PhD uh, uh, mentor. And I would love, you know, to me, I, I, we don't have a PhD program, as I said. So one of my goals eventually is, you know, to have a PhD student. And, and to me, it's seems a little overwhelming because as Dr. Shapiro and such shared, like you're almost a parent at some point, um, maybe not quite a parent, but you're, you, the, the roles are, are very um, time intensive and very interpersonal and uh, you know, all these things. And I would love to hear what your thoughts are on, you know, how you navigate that role. Yeah, I, I thought uh, everybody beautifully shared the role of a mentor. And I, it's hard for me to add to what, what Deb and Samantha and, and Sean said. Um, I, I, I think that that personal relationship and that comfort level that everybody talked about, I, I find I have a doctoral student now who just finished her comprehensive exams. And I remember in the summer, we, I try to meet with my students once a week, you know, formally, if not informally around the, the, the space. But I just remember she was really struggling getting these things written. And I felt like it was my responsibility to be a cheerleader for her and say, you know, you can do this and you're going to do fine. And, and, you know, that was a big part of my role over the summer. So um, that personal relationship and that comfort that she can come to me and say, I'm struggling. And I, you know, offer certainly help, you know, more, more formative help, but just encouraging and saying, I know you can do this and, and, you know, being proud of her setting small goals and reaching those. So, Everybody talked, it was, it was beautiful what everybody said, but I think that other piece, everybody talked about as well as that, that personal relationship and that, um, you know, saying you can do it and helping guide them and, and in some cases holding their hand saying, you're going you're gonna to be okay. This is challenging, but you're going to make it. So uh, we, we've talked a little bit briefly about the consortium as well. And I mean, it's something that I mean, I look at, and I'm sure all of you kind of look at too, is 
former PhD students and I go, oh man, that's pretty amazing what, what everyone's getting. And, and, you know, um, and, and I'll let you all kind of chime in because I have a broad overview of what it looks like. Uh, but you have basically, uh, how, what is it? How many universities are involved? Is it eight? Yeah, eight universities involved with different, with, with mentors and you're meeting on a regular basis. So PhD students are coming in and able to connect with mentors from across geographical areas uh, in a really nice way. So uh, can you talk a little bit about um, how, this, how this program is going to and, and is shaping students' experiences? Um, uh, I, I'm now my, my colleague Luke Kelly retired and so now I'm an N of one and so I feel that uh, it's really great that now I have access to all these other great professors and mentors who could work with my students plus I think already they're interacting with each other the, 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 the students and so they're those are things that we can't offer uh, when it's just me and only a handful of graduate students so I think that's to me that's the biggest thing is just access to all these other professors and all these other students. And ideally, you know, if someone latches onto some research area, for example, with autism, you know, we can hook up with Sean and me and, and, and Dr. Talia Farah, West Virginia has been doing some of that work. So we really could get some real good collaboration, which is very exciting. Yeah, I'll be the, the next N of one. So um, the N of one means that you are the only faculty member in adaptive physical education, adaptive physical activity in your program. And so I've been that for 23 years, um, my N of one. So it is, for me, I've, I mean, I, I know most of the faculty that are part of the consortium, but never had a chance to really interact with people on a, on a regular basis other than seeing people at a conference. So that's been really nice. And learning how other people have been mentoring and guiding and hearing people think and present has been really invaluable for me that I've been able to bring tools back to our doctoral program and say, hey, you know, I didn't know this existed, but I really think it would be helpful for us in our program to try it. So that's been helpful for me in our professional development as we're looking to build and, and enhance our doctoral program. But I've also really liked interacting with the doctoral students from other universities. Uh, you know, usually you would see somebody at another school or at a, from other schools at a conferences and they may or may not be um, comfortable just coming up and approaching you because, you know, you're still in a different level in space and, haven't had a chance or a reason to have to approach me, for example. So this is giving people a chance to meet me and me a chance to meet them. And I think that builds a comfort zone that they have somebody else that they can go ask questions of and um, just interact with professionally. And I do also see, as Dr. Block said, those, those research connections. Um, I'm working with one of his doctoral students and then my doctoral student has found a doctoral student at Oregon State to work with on a research project. So the, the the interactions and the the webs that are forming from this I think are really really significant and I think they just take time to develop and evolve but I think the potential is really there. It seems to I, I had some of the PhD students on recently and they're talking about the areas they're interested in and a lot of them are areas that we've barely covered in our literature so it's like exciting that they're going to be able to probably tackle those in a, in a nice way and in, in uh, with all, all those collaborations. Again, I mean, it's from, you know, I'm only three years out of my PhD uh, program and I'm like, wow, I wish, you know, you wish you came in during that time. Uh, anything to add, Dr. Ross or Dr. Healy? 
After you, Dr. Ross. Okay. Um, well, I, I'm fortunate to be an N of two. Um, West Virginia University has myself and Dr. Andrea Talaferro as our adapted physical education, physical activity uh, core group, our, our APE team. I find it very valuable to be in this consortium because I am new faculty, um, junior faculty, and having an experienced mentor here to mentor me about mentoring um, is only going to strengthen the type of support incoming PhD students have. Um, and again, seeking that support, and like Dr. Shapiro said, the ideas and recommendations and, and things that you can bring into your program and your own mentorship are built into the consortium, not only to boost the students um, and the scholars, but also to boost the faculty at their different stages of their career. Um, so it kind of has several tiers of this consortium with the intention of building the capacity of the field as a whole. As PhD students, that informal discussion is so invaluable with all of these other faculty at different stages. And I think it gives you a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel to be like, okay, I can see myself in that position and that's what I'm working towards. Even if it's not, you know, becoming your mentor, but it's, it's maybe seeing yourself in a role very similar to someone else in the consortium it kind of helps put the pieces together to see what you're working towards and who you'll be working with. So all of a sudden you become colleagues with your advisor and also the other faculty on the grant, as well as other students on the grant um, to help kind of, I don't know, boost you up as you move along your, uh, your career pathway. Yeah, the, the, the point I was going to make has just been made by Dr. Ross. I was going to emphasize that tiered um, mechanism that is built into this grant. And me as well, being a less experienced faculty member, uh, I really benefit from the opportunity to work with, you know, other people on the grant who have mentored students for, for, for years and decades in some instances, perhaps. Um, so that is very comforting for me to have that support around me as uh, Dr. Ross said, so I can give the best support as possible to my um, students. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think Dr. Ross briefly said too, you know, like I, obviously this is going to benefit students and and you all, uh, uh, but also the field. I mean, uh, you know, uh, bringing our comprehensive knowledge together uh, in some ways to then try to create the best that we can. I think it's going to be really, really awesome. Uh, watching our field grow in the next, you know, five, 10 years with that. And what I love is what we've all shared is that we are infusing APA across so many different sectors. You know, we've got us in public health and in education and sport um, that students and faculty all get to see how this field can apply in all of those different areas and, and learn from each other. Um, I don't know, it just feels like it's got a bigger impact and a bigger reach when we start to see all the different areas that we were that we're working in. Absolutely. And I'm I'm sure he'll he'll be listening at some point. But Dr. LeVay and I, I know I told you at the beginning, we're talking recently about your grant, because everyone's talking about your grant. Uh, but um we were just saying like that this is like the biggest thing since APEN's in our field, that you're that you've created this thing that this networking thing to 
I mean, you're absolutely going to be creating the future uh, leaders in our field. And it's just, it's awesome to, to watch. And, uh, I, and I'm happy just to even be contributing a podcast to it. So it's very awesome. Um, so my last question uh, is, okay, so for listeners out there that are comp- contemplating a PhD uh, and, and where they might go, what advice would you give them? I'll, I'll jump in. <laughs> so I think it goes back to what I said about choosing a person rather than a place. Um, you know, unless you love Atlanta or love Morgantown, West Virginia, or have a dream of living in Newark, Delaware, uh, which Sean, no offense, I don't think anybody has that dream, but um, I really think it should be a, a person, you know, and I think you should, there's so many great places, talk to different professors, find out what their research interests are, try to get to know them a little bit, and then it should be a thoughtful decision that, you know, I really want to study with Susanna Dillon at Texas Women's University because, and then you, you should have a good reason, or I want to, you know, study with, um, with, with Martin Block at the University of Virginia. But I think that's who you want to be with. You want to study with someone as opposed to going to a broad university or broad program would be my recommendation. It's a little of the, the hidden curriculum I think I was alluding to earlier is that it's not always clear that part of applying for a PhD program is having a mentor to advocate and like really champion for you to come join them and how important it is that you do reach out and have conversations even before you've applied. So who's that person? Who do you want to connect with? How can you start a conversation with their research or, or their involvement in different sports or adapted settings uh, that can help you get that foot in the door. I'll just make a plug geographically. I think Atlanta is one of the top cities in America. So uh, I've had a lot of good times there. So Deb, talk a little bit about about your program and plug Atlanta if you want to. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was listening to Dr. Block talk about the mentor and I agree 100% it's the mentor, but you're going someplace for four or five years potentially. So you have to sort of, to some degree, you have to want to be there. And people do move geographically. So rarely is someone going to go like Sam did and Sean, I guess, from the West Coast backed over to the East Coast. So, um, you know, Atlanta is a big city. It's probably one of the, the few schools that are the few programs in the consortium that are, are in a big city. You got um, Texas Women's University outside of Dallas, but otherwise Atlanta's you know, a major city for sure that has absolutely everything you can want from sports, culture, and uh, recreation. So I, I do think the city and the environment make a difference, particularly if you are taking a family with you. So if you're not moving as a single person, um, if, or if you're looking as a single person, I think the advisor may play a heavier role. But if you're looking at taking a family with you or a spouse with you, then I think there's a combination of that mentor plus the city or the environment because you both have to be able to make your way wherever you're going for that, you know, four or five year period of time. Um, So so to me, the city does make a difference. But if you're asking yourself, you know, why do I want to do a PhD or where do I want to go? I would say that I never in a million years thought I would do a PhD when I started my master's degree. So I don't think that you have to have a research focus. I don't think you have to know that you want to study a PhD. I think if you just even inquire about where do I go next for school, if there's anything beyond a master's degree, that's probably your first step. And I agree talking to as many different people at schools 
And when you talk to one person, say, would you recommend I talk to anybody else? And they'll give you a couple of other people. Um, so for sure, as Dr. Block said, we're, we're sort of referring people within the consortium. Um, but you know, if you ask me where else you can go, I might tell you maybe University of Utah is the best place or maybe South Carolina is a better place. So it doesn't have to be just within the consortium that I will certainly refer within that group first if there is an alignment between what you are interested in doing with your background and where you would like to go. I'll just take a moment to first defend Newark, Delaware as being a beautiful college town, <laughs> but also make the point my two current PhD students live in Philadelphia, actually, a short commute. Um, but I think um, um, what Dr. Shapiro and Dr. Block said is so true, and it's about, I think it's about striking a balance and priorities will differ for different people. Like myself personally, I think it was, my priority was the mentor. I could move wherever I wanted. I was able to move across to the States. So I could, you know, I went there just for a mentor. I didn't know anything about Charlottesville. Um, but I think Deb is totally right that there comes a point in your life when you are making decisions about more than a mentor. I think the mentor has to be right for you, but then you have to make decisions about whether you can move, whether you want to move, or what kind of place you want to be living in with regards, you know, having a family, etc. Um, so I think there is a balance to be got, but I think the one thing that you should not sacrifice is the relationship you have with your mentor. I think that has to be on a, that's the kind of the, the foundation that has to be there. Otherwise, I think you're, it's going to be an uphill battle. I'll add one more priority that I would look for in a graduate program is the culture. And what I mean by that is your relationship with your mentor is important, but then also what's the openness and the type of work environment across the rest of the program. So are other faculty willing to talk with you and meet with you? Does it seem as if you're being received as a future colleague rather than just a student? Are there opportunities to collaborate across the program and with other faculty? Do students seem generally happy to be involved and be participating? How's the work-life balance? You're, you're walking into a work environment and a PhD is going to be hard, but is this a space that you see yourself really being successful in and a group of people that you would feel excited to be involved with? Yeah, I want to add something else. I think that's um, sometimes very tempting for, for students when they're looking at doctoral programs is the funding and the cost of the doctoral program. So many doctoral, in every doctoral program is going to be able to offer a different package of support for students. And so I think sometimes as much as there might be, you know, we talked about the mentor in the city, sometimes money talks. You know, if, you, if you're leaving a full-time teaching job to go do a PhD, or if you're looking at taking out loans to do a PhD, sometimes you have to make some decisions that says, you know what, if I have two choices, one is offering me more scholarship money or more funding as for teaching or for research support. While I think that both might be great, I do have to consider some of the, the funding issues. So I think that's another consideration. I wouldn't put it high on the list, um, but I do think that students, um, do end up, I've, I've, when I speak with students, that is a concern. How am I going to pay for my education? Um, you know, so one thing that I think students really do think about. 
I sometimes I I regret something with that in my PhD program. I um so I li- I went to TWU and we were in Denton. In Denton, we call it the Triangle because it's like forty minutes to Dallas and forty minutes to Fort Worth, and then Denton's also a big city. Um, and I went and I was an adjunct faculty member at a um, community college in Fort Worth, and I remember having to drive sometimes like two hours because I'd have to go back and forth to that. And I do, rem- I almost regret that a little bit because I felt like it taking it on and obviously that's not just funding, but just kind of thinking about, I, you know, doing all these extra things, trying to make sure that I'm making this extra kind of a few thousand dollars. I felt like put this crazy stress on, on the year that I ended up doing that. And I kind of regret doing that and wishing that I just focused more on that, on the research and the experience and such sometimes, but obviously, yes, that's a, huge thing that people have to think about sometimes with funding and stuff. But I, I would also, I, and from my experience, sometimes think when I look back at those things, I think, man, I wish I just didn't focus so much on doing that extra thing to make a few extra dollars at that time and really just sucked up that experience. Um, but yeah, obviously those are huge things that people have to think about. So. Um, to end, uh here at West Virginia University, we're still recruiting and looking for scholars to join us on this APE consortium grant um, starting as early as this up August 2021. Uh, so please reach out. At Georgia State in Atlanta, we, we um, admit every semester, fall, spring, and summer. So if you're graduating in December, you're not sure what you're going to do with your life when you graduate, mm-hmm. you might as well just keep on plugging away in academics and you know, move to sunny Hotlanta and, and um, start in spring or summer. Yes, and at UD, uh, originally we were going to take two students, which um, which I have, but potentially we can take a third. So absolutely, we are still um, accepting applications and happy to talk to, to anybody out there who's interested. So uh, Evidently, people love me because I have four people I just interviewed for one position. So what I'll do, Samantha and Deborah and Sean, is uh, whoever uh, I end up not selecting or even before that, I'll, I'll say there's some other great options through the consortium. But yeah, I feel really fortunate. I sent out a quick email to alumni and I got four quick emails saying, hey, we'd love to study with you. So I'm in a good place. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And all of these, all of these options at Georgia State and University of Delaware and West Virginia University, all are fully funded position, graduate research assistant positions. So tuition waiver, stipend, uh, professional development dollars, and an opportunity to be a scholar on this exciting kind of national AP consortium grant. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And real quick, the other universities are Old Dominion University, Texas Women's University, Ohio State University, the Ohio State University, and um, I'm missing one. Oregon State. Oregon. Oregon State. Thank you. Yeah. So again, thank you very much. I'll 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 snap that one. So yeah. So thanks again for for coming on the podcast and talking a little bit about your programs and and being a PhD mentor in the consortium. I am so excited to see what's coming up next uh, on the consortium. And I think soon we'll, we'll, I'm going to follow up and talk to Dr. Hagel and J.K. about them creating the grant which I'm excited about as well. And then hopefully later on down the road, some of your PhD students are going to kind of uh, do a podcast takeover and uh, uh, share their own research is, is at least 
what I uh, what we're kind of talking about. So I'm excited about all this. So thank you again for coming on.